our lives present challenges and triumphs. Triumph Talks. Welcome. So glad you're here. So grateful to be here. Triumph Talks podcast. Grateful to be here today. Grateful for this beautiful production team that makes my podcast, Daniel and team. Thank you, Daniel. I am Brian O'Shea, and this podcast is a weekly podcast examining the triumphs we experience in life, and we talk about triumphs. Also, it's my belief. We triumph when we talk, when we share, when our live stories are told in safe places, we triumph. That's a triumph. I'm so honored today, a dear colleague and longtime friend of mine, Matt Brown. Welcome, Matt Brown. Welcome, friend. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. I've uh, tuned into the previous episodes, and it's an honor to be included in, in the list of wonderful guests that you've had here. You've been a consistent, kind friend to me since the day we met. I remember I, I was new in my career, and I hadn't been to Texas that many times, and you and I, we just clicked. We just, this is one of my guys. We did. It's yeah, we, a, we had a meal at a, at a little diner there in Texas and got to know one another. Yeah, and I said, this is one of my guys. This is... Nah, and and isn't great life brings us those guys, right, Matt? Life yeah. brings, and the great women too. I have some, as you know, I have some of the greatest women in our field as my allies, protectors, and mentors. I've been so blessed, so blessed. We all need a few mama bears in our life. <clears throat> oh, amen, amen. And boy, and they all love you. You know, Heather. Oh, and, thank you. Heather and Judith and Jennifer, Angie, everybody, the whole crowd, they're all fans of yours. Thanks. So I wanted to begin a little bit with you had a beautiful beginning. What I knew about was your work at the Arbor and you helped families and you helped people. And the Arbor at that moment in many, many ways was one of the great leaders with the equine and the beautiful campus and a smaller amount of, of clients and residents. And so please color that in for me a little bit or for us a little bit, the, the life at the Arbor, and then jump right into exactly what you're doing now. You are doing so much. You are family healer, interventionist, life coach, recovery coach. You have your own podcast. Let's start off there. Talk about your podcast first. Tell us about your podcast. So the podcast that I do with Sam Davis, who is another wonderful interventionist out of Virginia, uh, it's called The Party Wreckers. And, you know, we <laughs> we chose that title because the, the the man who really mentored me in this work, he he's passed now. Um, unfortunately, you know, died of the disease that we're out to, to try to help people recover from, but he 
he had, he and I had this inside joke. Anytime he would let me, you know, ride shotgun with him on the way to an intervention before we hopped in the car, before we got on the plane, he just turned to me with this look in his eye and he's like, here come the party wreckers. And, and it was just kind of like this joke that we had of, okay, get ready. Here we go. And, and so as an homage to him, that's really where the name of the podcast came from. And, and we want to make it something where the conversation around addiction, the conversation around intervention doesn't have to be so scary. I think a lot of families struggle having this conversation simply because there's this stigma that exists in our society around addiction, alcoholism, mental health, and, you know, any behavior that can become compulsive. It's just one of these things that carries with it just this inherent shame that I, I just don't believe needs to be there. And so if we can find a way to have a conversation about addiction that includes some humor, that includes some lightheartedness and some very serious moments. Um, it kind of gives people permission to find a different kind of conversation and a different voice to have when, when we're dealing with something that right now is at critical mass, not only in this country, but just around the world. So true. So true. <clears throat> the removal of shame so important and an ongoing mission, an ongoing message, the removal of shame. I'm reminded of one of my mentors. You know, for me, I was so blessed. You know, Keith Fearman did so much mm. to help me. Michael Walsh did so much to help me. Those guys. And I'm reminded, though, with you riding with your with your great friend i'm reminded of uh john southworth who did a lot to help me he and i talked a lot about aca stuff but john southworth i'll never forget what he said well o'shea you know an interventionist is a mixture of a of an exorcist and a bouncer <laughs> Yeah, I, you know what? There's some truth to that for sure. There's a mixture there. There's a mixture. So yeah. talk talk about, let's jump right into, tell us about your practice now, everything you're doing now. Let's, let's go right there. Let's talk about right okay. now your life today. So there's a couple of projects that I'm, I'm working on. Um, obviously, the, you know, the, the one that's kind of sustained me since the beginning is my private practice, Freedom Interventions. And I'm, I'm kind of a one-man show. With that, I, I've had employees over the years. I find that I struggle with delegation. I struggle with management of other people. And so I've really just been a lot more comfortable being a one-man operation in, in that. And I, I travel the country working with families who have loved ones who struggle with addiction, who just aren't going to choose to get help on their own. And so really working with those families in, in a more in-person, hands-on way. Um, the other thing that just recently kind of kicked off about a year ago, uh, you know, talking about my podcast co-host, he came up with this brilliant idea and, you know, hiring an interventionist, the travel cost, you know, those kinds of things, it can be pricey. And so for families who either don't know if they need an interventionist or who simply are not going to have the resources to be able to hire somebody, step to take, to even have that conversation. And so he started a platform called Intervention on Call. And Intervention on Call is a platform where we actually coach other families 
on how to do their own interventions. So they'll come on and for $150 a session, we will coach them on doing their own intervention. And so we'll get the whole family together on a video call or a, a voice call and really kind of take a look. Okay. What are we working with here? Who are the different personalities? You know, where's the enabling happening? Where's the, the, the pain coming from and really take a look and say, okay, here's the message and here's how we're going to construct that. And usually in one, maybe two sessions, we're, we've got a family ready to present a message where they don't have to go to the expense or wait for the time to prepare for a professionally led intervention. And, you know, I, I still believe that there's nothing like the the quality and effectiveness of having a professional come in and, and do that. But I've also, after doing this for a year, I'm convinced more now than ever that most families don't need to hire an interventionist. You know, they can get the right coaching and and they can really walk themselves through this uh, with the right instruction. And and for those families that do need a professionally led intervention, you know, if they come on and have a session first, at least at that point, they can kind of make that decision and say, okay, I've got all the information to do this on my own. I don't think I'm going to be able to. And so we're going to go ahead and have somebody come in and help us. But it's it, it kind of takes that whole sales experience of the business side of things out of it. And, and it really just gives the family all the information they need to be able to make that decision for themselves. Um, and so those are really the kind of the two intervention projects that I'm working on. The, the podcast has really been a lot of fun. Um, Sam and I also, um, are, we're uh, this coming weekend, uh, in just outside of Richmond, Virginia, we're actually doing our second intervention training where we actually are going to, uh, takes, uh, uh, right. This training, we have seven people coming and we are going to be actually taking them through the process or the beginning of the process to get their certification as, as interventionists. So that's, that's also been a lot of fun to help others kind of join the ranks of, of those of us in this field. How beautiful, how beautiful. <clears throat> so how does one connect with intervention on call? Yeah. So the website is interventiononcall.com. And on the website, you're going to notice if you go to the interventionist page, there's about 13 or 14 interventionists located all over the country. And, you know, you'll read the bios and see, okay, this is the person that seems to have a story or a bio that, that really, I think, is going to best connect with our family and really best be able to help us. And, you know, you'll go on there, you'll see their schedule, you'll find a time that's available for, for inconvenient for everybody in your family and, you know, set that time aside. And at that point, the, the interventionist will, will, you know, at the appointed time, will join everybody together and, and kick things off. So, yeah, interventiononcall.com is the website. Beautiful, beautiful. And of course, you and I both know and we both respect the beautiful Deborah and Jeff Jay who wrote Love mm -hmm. First. That was, you got to love a couple of interventionists who wrote a book to teach a family how to not hire an interventionist. Yeah. <laughs> and I've, you know, it's a wonderful book. I've, I've actually learned a lot from that book. Um, I continue to try to go after Jeff Jay to see if I can, you know, get him, you know, to, to let me attend one of their trainings. They won't let anybody who doesn't have clinical credentials um, come to the trainings. And I'm hoping that one of these days he'll make an exception. Cause I'd love to, you know, sharpen the knife a little bit going to, by going to one of their trainings. They, they do some really good work. Oh, they're amazing. They're amazing. <laughs> My dear friend and mentor Carver Brown does a lot of work with them. And as you are moving more and more into 
a broader feeling. What are some of the things you see in families that you feel more and more are more pronounced now more than ever? Well, you know, I've been doing this kind of work now for about 20 years and you know, I, I look at what my life in my family was like growing up as somebody who struggled with addiction myself. Um, I don't, I certainly don't want to use the way I was parented as a model for how parenting should look in America today um, by no means. But, you know, you look at just kind of the family structure, the way that it is now, the way that it used to be. There's some really wonderful things that have happened I think technology has allowed families to stay more connected than they ever have. I think that that there's a number of things that have strengthened the family. But I also think that there's a lot of things that have eroded the roles of parents and children within that that family system. I think, you know, when you when you're dealing with addiction, I see so many parents who are afraid to have this conversation with their, their loved one, their child, or, or sometimes even their spouse um, out of fear that it's going to hurt the relationship. If I bring up something hard to talk about, they're not going to like me. They're going to stop talking to me. And, and I think that, you know, I'm a dad myself and I struggle with this as well, but it's, it's so, it makes me feel so good when my kids like me. You know, I like to be, you know, in the good graces of my children. I want them to be able to come and talk to me. I want them to be able to share experiences with me. And and when they're happy with me, that's so much easier for them to do. And I think, well, if I can just make sure that my kids are always happy, then I'm being a good dad. But the reality is that that's not, in my experience, that's not what a parent has to do. I had a, 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 therapy session with my daughter, my 15 year old daughter today. In fact, you know, before I, I got on the podcast with you, I'm coming back from the therapy session with her. It was not an easy session for either one of us because there's some communication stuff going on and we're so much alike that it's a real challenge. And, and so I, I think that in an effort, you know, globally to, to maybe, you know, make a very over, you know, maybe not an accurate depiction, but but just to kind of apply this on a societal level, I think parents spend too much time trying to get their kids to like them, and and I and I think that the economically, I think you know we don't no longer live in a day and age where you know a one income house is is even a reality. Oh, it's true. And so I th- I think <clears throat> that, that you know we we leave others to raise our kids. We leave electronics to raise our kids, um, whether it's social media, whether it's, you know, games, whether it's television, you know, there's so many ways for kids to distract themselves now and get that dopamine hit from a very early age that making that jump over into addiction is, you know, substance abuse rather is, is not a, as big a leap as it used to be. Um, I mean, I can go on and on about this. I don't know how much time you have, but there's so many things that, you know, when you look at it, even from, a societal standpoint, I think we've always tried to attack this from the supply side. Like it's the cartel's fault. You know, the precursors for fentanyl are being sent over by China and, you know, the government has to do something to stop that. And, and 
you know, we look at this and we, we've got to figure out a way to stem the tide of drugs coming into this country. And the reality is where there's a demand, there's always going to be a supply. We have to start attacking this from the demand side. You know, the, the stronger we can get families, the easier we can make it to have this kind of conversation, the better we can, we, the better quality of life and, and quality of mental health we can provide for young people in this world. That's where we're really going to make the biggest headway when it comes to treating addiction and mental health. Let's, let's start early and, and take away the fear from having these conversations. That's so beautiful, so powerful. And it has a lot to do with a change in perspective and bringing compassion and the courage to have transparency to say, I have fear. And the courage, as you began to say, <clears throat> as you began to say so beautifully, the courage to say, Sometimes it's not my goal to be your friend. Sometimes it's my goal to be your parent. And that's courageous. Yeah. That's courageous. Yeah, I mean, there's so much pressure on kids these days. And, and you know, and rightly so. We are focused on strengthening this next generation. But I think that those of us, you know, I'm, I'm 50 years old. And, you know, I still find myself going, how, how did I get here where I own a business? You know, I have a family here, three kids, a wife under the roof, a dog and a cat, all of them somehow trusting that I'm going to take care of them. Like, <laughs> how did I get here? You know, and, and I, I just, I, I, it's hard to fathom that I am somehow a responsible adult. And, and, you know, I can only imagine that there are other parents finding themselves in this situation going, okay, now what do I do? Like, everybody's looking to me for the answers. I got no idea. I guess I'll make something up. You know, I, I think that, you know, finding a way to strengthen parents is, is going to be a huge move that, that, you know, somehow we've got to find a way to, to make it okay to get support as parents. Beautiful. That's right. To have the courage to say it's okay to ask for help as an adult to have the courage to say, it's okay that I ask for help is yeah. a courageous when thing. I went to this, when I went to this therapy session with my daughter on the, on the desk at the reception desk at the, at the therapy office, there was a flyer for strength pay, strength-based parenting groups. And it had started two weeks ago. And my first thought, and I asked her, I said, when are you having another one of these? Like, like this is what, I could really use this right now as I'm walking into this therapy session. That's going to be a tough one for me and my daughter. Like when, when can I get some of this? And I, you know, and I think that if more families, more parents would make it okay to not have all the answers, make it okay to feel like, you know what? I'm falling apart here and I need some help because I find myself, even as a mental health and, you know, an addiction professional, like I, I need all the help I can get. Amen to that. Amen to that. <clears throat> and then to talk about freedom interventions, where was that intervention you and I did? It was close to the border. We were down in Nogales, Arizona. And, and we stayed at a, a hotel. We, whenever we see each other, sometimes we'll, we'll remind each other of this. But we stayed at this hotel where there had to have been, you know, I don't know, 80% of the guests at the hotel were some sort of federal law enforcement employee. Oh, yeah. It was the safest place in the United States. At that moment. 
<laughs> Listen, I don't know about you, but when I see that many cops in one place, I still get nervous. Oh, yeah. Well, I do it first, and then I remember, <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't have any cocaine on me. This is all yeah. good. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but, yeah, that was a wonderful family to work with. I mean, they they were ready, and, and uh, it was a wonderful experience to be able to do. I always like working in tandem with other experienced interventionists because there's, you know, we we – so often just operate alone. Oh yeah. No, like, most I have a way of doing what I do. And whenever I can get in a room with another interventionist and watch them work, it's like, Ooh, wow. Okay. That's another way to approach that, you know? And, and it's, it really just kind of helps me expand my abilities, I think. And I, I, I loved the opportunity to have done that with you. Yeah. We'll do it again soon. Yeah. I have this blessing, you know, my secret weapon, my partner, Kathleen Butler stepped and, she, for many, many years, she did all the genograms for all the families. So I would arrive, and just about every time, they would open the door, and they would try to peer around me, because they had spent so much time working with Kathleen. And then they'd say with a bit of panic, Kathleen is here, right? <laughs> I'd say, no. Just, just me, just the exorcist. Sorry, just sorry. <laughs> so it was, in, it was a, an enormous blessing. Kathleen's, uh, the, you know, one of the reasons we're we're talking today. So tell me about freedom interventions. If I am correct, if I'm thinking clearly, freedom interventions operates in the entire continental United States. Well, I've, I've done, you know, a, a handful of international interventions. Okay. I, okay. I, I had the opportunity several years ago. I, in my, my early 20s, I lived for a few years down in, in South America. I lived in Argentina and still, you know, it's a little rusty, but I still speak fluent Spanish. And so every once in a while, um, I'll get called south to, to go do an intervention down there. Or, you know, I haven't been anywhere, you know, outside of the Western Hemisphere, but um the training that we have coming up in, in this weekend, we actually have um, one of our, our students is coming from, from England to come and train with us. And, you know, part of what we do is we, we want to make sure that those that train with us have an opportunity to have us at their disposal to do first chair and second chair interventions with them. And so I'm looking forward to the opportunity of heading over across the pond to do a few interventions over there with that, that individual. But um, yeah, so most of, I would say, you know, 99.9% .9 of the interventions that I've done in the last 20 years have certainly been in the, in the U S um, the only States that I haven't been to yet are North and South Dakota. And I don't know how somehow they, uh, they must just not have drugs or alcohol in North or South <laughs> Dakota, but in 20 years, I haven't been there. Um, either that or everybody's an alcoholic and everybody's a drug addict and nobody's, <laughs> you know, thinking that, Hey, if I do an intervention here. I'm going to have to end up going to treatment myself, but uh, yeah, it's, it's just been something that I have loved doing. And, you know, my family had tried to intervene on me two years before I got sober and it was just my mom and dad. And they, they woke me up and they had a couple of suitcases in hand and they said, we love you, but either you're going to go to treatment today or you're going to have to leave our house today. And I picked option two and grabbed those suitcases, packed them up and took off. And after getting sober and realized how much more misery I put myself through and my family through, the idea of a professional intervention really was fascinating to me. And so, you know, once I got sober and once I started working in treatment, 
I really gravitated towards those guys that were working with families in crisis. And that's, I think, where, where my passion has always been. Beautiful, beautiful. And I am blessed. I have a few clients in uh, Scotland, <laughs> in Scotland, and it's fun to work with them. And I don't mind waking up early. So, you know, it's four o'clock Zoom calls, 4 a.m. Zoom calls. And the United Kingdom, more and more, we're seeing a lot of, you know, uh, Lee Fitzgerald has that wonderful mini conference there regularly. And, you know, more and more we're working in, in London a lot. And, um, and as a Spanish speaker, more and more, you know, a Spanish speaker interventionist, very, very, very helpful. And so freedom intervention, freedom is the website. It is. Okay. Very good. Very good. And with your podcast, what, tell us a little more, call that in for us a little bit more. What is a little bit, if you would say kind of a re- recurring goal or theme or something that, that's kind of in your heart a lot when you're doing your podcast? I think the the thing that we tend to address most, depending on who we have on the, on the show, but if it's just Sam or I doing an episode by my, by ourselves without a guest, you know, we tend to gravitate towards really taking a look at, okay, how do we stop enabling addiction? How do we really take away the power that this has to not only hold individuals hostage, but to hold families hostage and to really restructure that balance of power so that this doesn't have the stranglehold on families the way that it does. And I think that, you know, the way that I try to describe it to families when I'm working with them is that in every intervention we do, we have to be willing to fire two people and that's the banker and the janitor, because there's usually somebody financing the mess and there's usually somebody coming behind and cleaning up the mess once it's been made while the next one's getting financed. And we don't even realize that we're falling into those roles. And it's not always financial currency that we're talking about when somebody is the banker. Sometimes it's emotional currency. Like, you know, there's, there's families where I've worked with where the only thing that a person has to do is go to mom or dad and say, mom, dad, I'm in trouble. And immediately they drop everything. Okay. Let's sit down. Let's talk about this. Let's figure a way out of this. And by the way, let me make you a sandwich while we're talking and, you know, let's, let's get to the bottom of this. And I knew when those kinds of events happened in my life, and if I could go and get my parents to jump into those roles, I could immediately let go of being responsible. If I could get them to a point where they felt like they needed to take responsibility for either, you know, cleaning this up or whatever needed to happen, whether it was a financial mess, a legal mess, an emotional mess, a romantic mess, whatever it was, if I could just get them to, even if it was just, Hey, I need a pat on the back and I just need you to tell me that it's going to be okay. You know, tell me a lie so that I'll feel better right now. You know, but if they had actually told me the truth and said, hey, you're the one making a mess of your own life here. Maybe you need some additional tools to be able to not make the kind of choices that you're making. Maybe to be able to to choose better, better friends, better, better, you know, girlfriends, whatever it was. If somebody had been willing to tell me the truth early on and not enable me just to try to make me feel better. Listen, I'm not saying I would have listened. But maybe I wouldn't have gone back to a source that I knew was going to just tell me what I wanted to hear. And if enough of those people in my life would say, hey, 
Have you ever thought about looking at it this way? You make bad choices. Have you ever thought about why you make these kinds of choices? Have you ever really dug into like, maybe this is your problem. And, and if, if we could have those kinds of conversations with our loved ones, instead of, Hey, let me make this, this DUI go away. Or, you know, let me see if I can talk to you. I mean, I've, I've had it all where, you know, mom and dad have a really good relationship with their 30 year old son's boss, because when he's sick, he'll call mom and dad and they'll call in sick for him, you know, or, or a lot of these other behaviors that just, you know, instead of the helicopter parents these days, we've got, you know, call them lawnmower parents, call them bulldozer parents where they're going in front of their kids now and just kind of pushing all the problems out of the way. <laughs> and and I think that, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I, when I say that, I, I am in no way trying to blame parents for where, where things are at in their families. But as a dad, if there's something going wrong in my family, I have to be willing to look at what part of this responsibility is really mine. And, and, you know, what do I have to change so that my family, my children, my wife can operate, you know, in a happier way. And so that, I think that's really what our, where our podcast really tries to focus is, how can we have more honest yet more loving conversations with our loved ones who are struggling? Nice. <clears throat> I remember, I'm reminded, I remember the first time I heard Deborah J say that mythology of, well, we've been told to let him hit bottom. And Deborah J said that mythology has one flaw. When you let him hit bottom, he takes the entire family with him. It's the, the other mythology, oh, it'll not work unless he wants to. Yeah. Well, you know, I'd like to help him go to a medically supervised, compassionately supervised detoxification environment. And I would like to help him or her experience clarity and then give them an opportunity in a treatment center to experience some community and some connection for two or three weeks. And at the end of that, I think he could make a choice to choose whether or not he would like to move into recovery or a deeper experience of working harder on co-occurring and underlying issues and this and that and the other. And it's interesting, you know, those, those mythologies and you got to be very, very cautious. You got to be very cautious because some people absolutely believe there's nothing we can do until he decides he wants help. And it's, it's like arguing religion or something with people. Yeah. And I mean, I don't, I don't want to, I, I don't know what kind of time limit why we didn't really talk oh, about what? this, but how much time do we have? Uh, we're at 30 minutes now. We can go whatever y'all need. Okay. The National Institute on Drug Addiction did an amazing study a number of years ago. And part of the study was they examined our treatment outcomes affected by how somebody starts the process. You know, they, they looked at a number of different treatment centers around the country and they said, okay, these are treatment centers where people can come by way of legal intervention, where a judge says you can either go to treatment or you can go to jail. 
um, family intervention where a relationship is is in jeopardy, where whether a wife or a husband is saying, if you don't get some help, I'm going to divorce you. Sometimes it's an employer intervention where a boss is saying, hey, you can either take advantage of, you know, the health insurance and, and the employee, you know, program that we have and get yourself some help, or we're going to have to let you go. Or it's people who just kind of come to this on their own and say, you know what, I think I, I don't really like, I'm not happy. I, I need to make some changes here. And what they found is that how someone starts the process has very little bearing on how the process ends. What's the most important thing is how invested is the person? You know, how are, are they willing to see that there's a change needed? And are they working with the right team of people to make that change possible? And the willingness, that is the, like the families don't understand that that is the most flexible part of this entire equation. Because feelings are never permanent, ever. I could be willing one day or one hour or one minute to the next. And, and, and that can change. And, and the whole idea of an intervention is to really help someone find that moment of willingness. And to say, oh, they've got to come to this on their own. I mean, the reality is everybody gets an intervention. Every drug addict, every alcoholic gets an intervention. Sometimes it's a guy wearing a badge and a gun. Sometimes it's a guy with, in a white coat in an emergency room. You know, sometimes it's, it's a spouse or an employer, like I was saying, but everybody gets an intervention. What families don't realize is that when those kinds of interventions happen, they largely lose control of what the outcome is going to be, whether it's a job loss, whether it's a loss of freedom, whether it's, you know, whatever that is. But when they hire somebody like you or I to come in and do an intervention, they have so much more control over what the, the long-term outcomes are going to be. And, and it's this, this fallacy of, the, well, they got to want it. That's a very, very subjective term. You know, what they want and what they're willing to do, that, that, those could be on opposite ends of the spectrum. I may not want to get sober, but I'm sure not willing to continue to live the way that I'm living. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go down a road that I don't want to go down because maybe the results will be a little bit different. So we're not looking for desire. We're looking for willingness. Amen. Amen. And I saw another meta study like that, a meta study from the United Kingdom and Canada and North America. And it said the only two defining elements are the emotional connection for the client and whoever is helping them. And this went on to say with great clarity and it was four pages of, it doesn't matter if it's a PhD or the care coordinator, or, you know, the, whatever you call it, the recovery tech, <clears throat> but there needs to be someone they feel connected with. Mm -hmm. If there's that connection that has a huge impact. And then the other thing was whether or not the family did any of their own work or did any of their own participation with clarity and helping and supporting, but with clarity, you know, and sometimes clarity is we are going to support the recommendation of the professionals that you're with. Yeah. Well, Matt, I can't thank you enough, brother. I can't thank you enough. I'm so, so glad that you invited me to do this. Thank you. 
and we'll have to we'll have to ride together soon. We we need to. It's it's been too long. We have to absolutely. We'll, yeah, we'll, the next uh, time I'm in uh, Mississippi or or Tennessee or somewhere local to you, well, I'll give you a holler and we'll go ride ride together. Yes, or I'll ride up there with you. I'd be your second chair any day, any thank day. You. And I want to thank everyone for being here, talking triumphs, triumph talks. See you again next week. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, thank you, Brad.